Section Four of Conquest Over Time. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain and is read by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. Conquest Over Time by Michael Shara. Section Four. Naval stepped gingerly over the bodies and gazed at Travis with awestruck admiration. A rare skill, she murmured. They did flip and gyrate as dry leaves in the wind. Observe, then, Travis said ominously, inspecting meanwhile the long slash down his arm, with which Tude had clearly gotten him, and learn, and in the future receive my words with planetary respect. I will. And I, added Lappy, shaken. Fair, bright, now attend. How lies the path? Through more such as these, I fear. This place in which we trouble lies at a dead end. We must proceed through great halls where many sit waiting, ere we arrive at the light. No other way? Think now. None. Travis sighed. And they talk about luck. Well, boy, he turned to Lappy, give me your blunderbuss. Obtain that one's knife he indicated the sleeping Tude, and let us carve our way out into the sunshine. But, as it turned out, the getting free was much easier than he had anticipated. There was only one band, the girl's own, between them and the opening, and these had fortunately just finished their evening meal when Travis stalked, black, gaunt, and murderous, out of the tunnel into their large round room. Part of it was the surprise, part of it was the sudden knowledge that Big Tude and the other man had already tried to stop him, but most of it was simply the look of him. He was infinitely ready. They were not, had no reason to be, and they took it automatically for granted that a man this confident must have the stars behind him. They regarded him thoughtfully as he went on by. No one moved. They were a philosophical people. When he had gone, taking the boy and girl with him, they discussed it thoroughly. Out under the sky at last it was pitch black and the stars were shining. Travis realized that he had been in the sewer almost a full twenty-four hours. That meant that the eclipse was done, tomorrow would be a good day. There was not much time. He commandeered the first carriage to come by, routing three elegantly dressed but unwarlike young men who fled in terror. He saw with relief that they thought him only another sewer rat, for if word of an earthman robbing the local citizens ever got out, there would be hell to pay, and in addition to his other troubles, he could not abide that. He told Navel to head for the field where old Twenty-Nine rested. Thoroughly bushed and beginning now to feel a woeful hunger, he sat back to brood. At the ship, young Tripp greeted him with haggard astonishment. He jumped forward joyfully. "'Trav! By jig, Trav! I thought we'd lost you!' Old Dolly's over at the local police sta— He stopped abruptly and stood slack-jawed as Naval and Lappy clambered fearfully through the lock. Travis glanced back. No spectators. Good. Now what in the sweet silly name— Tripp began, but Travis stopped him. Russ, be a good kid. See if you can get me something to eat. Haven't had a bite in twenty-four hours. Sure, Trav, sure. Only— What's with the lower depths here? <laughs> you might show them the showers, Travis grinned, or at least turn on the air conditioning. But listen, 
Anything new on the contract? Tripp's face fell. Not a thing. Even worse, let me tell you. But ho, the food! He dashed off. Travis collapsed into a chair. A few moments later Tripp came back bearing food, but his eyes by now had begun to penetrate the dirt of the girl, and he stood watching her, bemused. Then suddenly he began to look happier than he had in several days. Travis told him briefly what had happened in the sewer, also about the brains of Lappy. Tripp was impressed, but he continued to regard the girl. "'Well,' Travis said, munching, "'fill me in on what's been going on. The eclipse come off?' Tripp jerked. He focused on Travis unhappily. "'Oh, boy, did it come off. Wait till you hear. Listen, you know the way it is now. I think they're going to kick all Earthmen off this planet. The M.C. says we may have to leave and come back a hundred years from now. Not anybody going to get a contract now.' "'What happened?' "'Well, you wouldn't believe it. You have to understand these people's astrology.' You know the little moon these people have? Felda, they call it. It's only a tiny thing, really only a few hundred yards wide. Well, when the mapping command first came by here, they sat down on that moon, and set up a listening post before landing, you know, the way they always do, to size up the situation through telescopes, radio, all that. Mostly they just orbit, but this time they landed. God knows why and took off again, naturally, throwing in the star-drive. So today the eclipse comes off all right, but it comes off late." He could not help smiling. "'You see what happened. A star-drive is a hell of a force. It altered the orbit of the moon. Not enough to make any real difference, just a few hours a year, only minutes a day. But, boy, you want to hear these people howl. And I guess you can see their point. Every movement that damn moon makes is important to them. They know where it should be to the inch. And now not only is it slightly off course, but so is every ephemeris printed on Mert. And they have them printed up, I understand, for the next thousand years. Which runs into money. We offered to pay, of course, but paying isn't going to help. It seems we've also messed up interpretations, predictions, the whole doggone philosophy. Oh, it's a real ding-dong. But contract, not in a million years. Travis sighed. That seemed to put the cap on it, all right. After all, when you start pushing people's moons around, where will it end? He brooded, his appetite gone. But he made a last effort. Did you discover anything at all we could use? Nope, not a thing. I finally figured the only thing to do was work on the astrology end of it, you know. Maybe we could argue about interpretations. These people love to argue about interpretations. But no soap. It's too complicated. To learn enough even to argue would take a couple of years. And besides, Unico is here, and also Randall, and they all have the same idea. Anyway, I don't think it would work. The eclipse is too definite. You can't argue the eclipse. "'Well,' Travis said with approval, "'you were on the right track. You did what you could. At least we got something out of the deal.' He indicated Lappy, who was at that moment fervidly examining the interior of the view-screen. Tripp nodded, but his eyes were on Navel. "'By Jing!' he said suddenly. "'Your luck holds good no matter what. I never saw the beat of it.' "'Luck!' 
Travis fumed. What luck! Look, Trav, what else could you call it? You fall in a sewer, you come up with Isaac Newton and a gorgeous doll. It's uncanny, that's what it is, uncanny. Travis lapsed into wordless musing on naval, planets, people. Come to think of it, he thought, it is uncanny. At that moment there was a pounding on the lock. Travis quickly shooed Navel and Lappy into hiding, then cautiously went to the door. He relaxed. It was Ed Horton. "'I saw you come back, Trav. Mighty glad. But I knew you'd make it. Old Pat Travis always comes through. Ain't that right, Pat?' He tottered in the doorway. Travis caught the sweet scent of strong brew. He stepped forward to help him, but Horton stood up grandly, waving him away. His mouth creased in an amiable grin. "'Diomed,' he announced proudly, "'is a nine-planet system.' After which he fell backwards out of the door. Trav ran to the door, stared down into the dark. Horton sat upright at the foot of the ladder. "'It's all right, old buddy. Didn't mean to stay. Only thought you'd like to know natural scientific fact. Diamond is nine-planet system. He rose on wobbly but cheerful legs. No favoritism there, eh? Science. I just tell you a fact. You take it from there. No favoritism at all. He lurched away mumbling cheerily, his obligation fulfilled. Travis stared after him, wheels turning in his brain. Fact? A nine-planet system. It gelled slowly, then broke. Nine planets. The key. He turned slowly on Trip, his eyes swiveling like twin dark cannon. What's he say? Trip said, half-smiling. Boy, he was sure. Did you know this was a nine-planet system? Uh, why, sure, Trav, but what— and did you take the trouble to examine their astrology? Certainly. What the heck? And you call it luck. <sighs> Travis sighed, then broke into a radiant grin. Why, there's your bloomin' answer, you sad, silly, dreamin'. There's your bloomin' answer. He sailed over to a drawer, grabbed a batch of fresh contracts, then flashed toward the door. Hold the fort! He bawled over his shoulder. Break out a big bottle and small glasses. We got a contract, lad. We got a contract. He vanished triumphantly into the night. Old 29 was homing. Travis felt the great soft piece of deep space close over him. All was right with the world. A clean and sparkling navel, well bathed now and almost frighteningly beautiful, sat worshipfully at his feet dressed in a pair of Dollinger's pajamas. Both Tripp and Dollinger were regarding him with wonder and delight, and as he sat gazing down at them fondly he recalled with pleasure the outraged faces of the men from Unico, that robber outfit. "'Pat Travis,' he chuckled, patting the fat contract in his pocket. "'The luckless Pat Travis rides again!' He turned an eye on the staring Tripp. "'My boy,' he said paternally. Speak me no speaks about luck from this day forth. All the material was in your hands. There was no luck involved. All you had to do was use it. But, Trav, I still don't get it. 
I've been thinking all right, all the while you were gone. The planet Pluto, Travis said evenly, was discovered by Earthmen finally in the year 1930. At that time we were approximately 300 years ahead, technologically, of the people of Mert. A similar case exists for Neptune, which was not discovered, although adequate telescopes had long been in use, until 1846. He paused and gazed happily around. Does the light dawn? Holy cow! <laughs> exactly! Diomed is a nine-planet system! For which fact, thank old Ed Horton, who returned a favor done many years ago. Luck? Only if doing favors for people is lucky, which I suppose you could make a case for. But in the astrology of Diomed Three, an astrology I took great pains to understand, how many planets are considered? Let us examine. Rim, Fours, Lindel, Bonken, Huck, Weepen, and Sharb. And then there are also the two lights, that is, the sun and the moon. But how many planets are there? Counting Mert as one, add them up. It comes out eight, not nine. Eight. But Diomed is a nine-planet system. Bless Ed Horton. What happened to the missing planet? Dollinger whooped. They didn't know they had one. Travis grinned. With surety. They didn't know it existed. If they had, their astrology would certainly have shown it. So it had obviously, like our own Pluto at a similar time, never been discovered. He paused once again while Dollinger and Tripp regarded him with delight. And you, Tripp said, you showed them where it was. Travis clucked. I did not. For one thing, I didn't know where it was. I simply told him, very regretfully, that there was one, but the situation being what it was, I couldn't allow him to use our telescopes to plot its orbit. Unless, you see, there existed a concrete agreement between us. I added that I had heard that Earthman would shortly be leaving his planet. Very unhappily, I told him he could not expect to produce a telescope of the necessary power within at least the next hundred years. And even then, it would be many more years before they actually found it. I was very sorry about the whole business, so I just thought I'd drop by to offer my regrets. <laughs> and he leaped at the chance. No, no, you rushed to conclusions. He did not leap at the chance. He sat very quietly, thinking about it. It was a gruesome sight. I could sympathize with him. On the one hand, he had us, the unknown, moon-moving us, with which he wanted no traffic whatever. But on the other side there was the knowledge of that planet moving all unwatched, out in the black, casting down its radiations, be they harmful or good, and no way to know in what sign the thing was, or what house, or what effect it would have on him, was having on him, even as he sat there. Oh, he struggled, but I knew I had him. He signed the contract. I think I may say that it is among the most liberal contracts we have ever signed." There was a long moment of silence in the ship. The young men sat grinning foolishly. "'So let me hear no more about luck,' said Travis firmly. "'In the future, sons, put your shoulders to the wheel.' But the attention of the two was already wandering. 
they were both beginning to gaze once more upon the lovely navel, who was quite shyly but very womanly gazing back. He saw Tripp look at Dollinger, Dollinger glare at Tripp, their hackles rising. He looked down at Navel in alarm. Born to cause trouble? Oh, no, he thought abruptly, seeing a whole new world beginning to open up. Oh, no, oh, no! That is the end of Conquest Over Time by Michael Shara. Thank you for listening.